OK's Fisher Podcast, part of the OK's Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Strine and Greg Tubbs. Hey there, welcome back to the OKS Fisher Podcast, coming at you from the OKS Fisher Podcast studio, also known as The Basement. How we doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, can't complain. Uh, here we are, September. Bow season is here. There's still some fishing going on. A time to really go after some big fish, I think, if you have the time, if you make the time. Um, <laughs> our guest today is uh, is a, a well a wealth of knowledge when it comes to bass fishing, I think, compared to me anyway. Uh, we're going to talk some, some fall smallmouth fishing today. One of my favorite fish to chase all year round, really. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on, guys? Well, uh, great. Uh, um, what's going on is uh, we're, we're having a problem apparently queuing off of each other. <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's been a long day so. uh, it, we've all had kind of a long day i think uh, we we got uh bailey eigbrett right yes sir i didn't screw it up no i nailed it all right good nailed it like a fly to a wall there you go so oh. go ahead man oh, perfect now we're cutting each other off so yes. that makes us even more okay <laughs> No, I just, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and you know, what you fish for, what you do. Yeah, heck yeah. So uh, I'm Bailey Eichbrett. I'm here in Buffalo, New York, one of the uh, smallmouth meccas of the world. And uh been fishing my entire life, man. I had my first bass. I don't even remember. Uh, I just was told my dad said I cried like a little girl when I caught it. That's the only thing he recollects from the, from the, the time. But uh been fishing my entire life and uh, caught the bug pretty early on for bass specifically for whatever reason i just uh was more got hooked on one the catching but really more the learning aspect than anything else so ever since then like all of us outdoorsmen we uh we get obsessed and uh the cool thing about fishing while we're all here right is you'll never know everything about it so i'm i'm hooked for life and so ever since then i just uh been all in on bass fishing you know made it a career in regards to what i do for a full-time job as you know surrounds fishing and bass fishing and anytime i spend outside of that as bass fishing my fiance curses me for it but uh found a good one that allows me to do it as much as i can so here we are doing a podcast on on bass fishing and just got back home from five days of bass fishing so i'm all about it man yeah and you have your own podcast as well correct Yes, sir. The Serious Angler Podcast, which is dedicated to learning more about bass. <laughs> Imagine Shocking. that. Imagine that. That's right. Well, you you definitely nailed it on the head. I mean, there's there's a lot of things to learn about fishing, and every time you go, it doesn't matter what species you're fishing for. If it's if it's panfish, if it's smallmouth, largemouth, ocean fishing, there's always something to be learned every time you go out. You just got to be willing to keep your eyes wide open and pay attention to the details and what's unfolding in front of you. Yeah, that was one of the first things my that I can even remember anyway that my father told me. And you know when you're super young, like anything your dad or your grandpa tells you, like that's like the law for the rest of your life, right? That's yeah. how your brain operates. My dad was just telling me, he's like, if you take one thing that you can learn away from every time you go fishing, just one thing, even how super small it is, he goes, you'll get better every time. And that 
rings through my dude. It literally rung through my head on Saturday. So like, and when I tell you it stay true to this day, like if you do that, you you can get fast pretty quick. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. I think the biggest lesson I learned was be quiet in the boat. We always got yeah. yelled at. That was like the biggest lesson. Be quiet in the boat. There's yeah. no banging around in the bottom. My brother would get bored. He'd start playing and beating on the bottom of the boat. And Dad didn't like that. <laughs> we always got the, oh, man, another bullhead. Like, <laughs> so we want to talk fall smallmouth, seeing how we're here at the beginning of fall. Um, you're fishing near Buffalo, so that's a great lakes fishery, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, we got so, uh, Lake Erie here. I'm 10 minutes from the ramp here on Erie, and I'm about 30 from Lake Ontario on the uh, the west end. And uh, yeah, I got two of the greatest smallmouth fisheries in the world right here within an hour's reach. Yeah, I think any one of the Great Lakes. I mean, we've got Lake Superior, um, you know, up near Ashland. That whole area is is awesome for smallmouth. We have Green Bay here, and even like some of the little pockets here and there we can bump into a smallmouth basically from milwaukee north uh it's it's pretty nobody ever really pursues them heavily but they're there they certainly are you see them swimming guys will be out brown trout fishing and you'll you'll see one swim by the wall so yeah uh i I don't think it's taken advantage of as much as far south as we are but definitely green bay you know that's one of one of the well-known areas door county is very well known for smallmouth so I'm kind of I'm kind of familiar mm-hmm. with with the type of water you're fishing with, right? For there. sure. And what's cool here in New York is we have the Finger Lakes, uh, which one of them actually just set for two years in a row the smallmouth state record. Uh, so we have a bunch of Finger Lakes that have really good smallmouth fishing. But what's cool about them is they act completely different than the Great Lakes smallmouth. So if you're good at the Great Lakes and you think ah oh, it's gonna be easy, I'm gonna go catch smallmouth in the Finger Lakes, like buddy, it's a whole different. And there's small, so, small similarities, but they act and even look completely different. That's so just kind of super cool. You got to adjust with them. Absolutely. So, can we dive into the Great Lakes here? Because I think you know we're going to hit both both subjects. Obviously, both lake styles. But how is it different from spring? You know, I mean, obviously they're not spawning. Are they in similar locations, or do they move out deeper water? Yeah, I say for the most part they're in. An easy concept to look at it is when you can find them in the spring and you can follow them into the spawn, if you just backtrack your steps in the fall for the most part, you're going to be able to find them. The only difference is they're going to be in less spots in the fall than the spring. Where the spring, they're kind of a, they'll be heavily in certain, you know, whether it's rock or sand transitions or whatever, but they're going to be in a lot of different different places in the spring. Where the fall, it's like, they won't be on certain stuff. When you find them, say they might be on sand where a lot of the bait's going to congregate because sand in the fall stays the warmest in the Great Lakes. You're going to find all of them in the sand. So, like, when you find them in the fall, chances are you're going to be able to sit on them for five hours and just wreak havoc. Uh, whereas the spring, you might, like, catch a bunch here, catch a bunch there, and you can keep moving and catch them in different stuff. Uh, whereas the fall, it's it's a lot of looking. It's a lot of looking and trying to find them, but once you find them, you can stay on them usually for a while. Um, and really the only difference I'd say is, uh, and this can vary on the day, but typically in the fall, they, they feed up. Whereas in the spring, 
whatever's in front of them they're going to eat. Typically, though, they're eating on bottom because they're just coming out of the winter months, so they're a little bit sluggish, whereas they're coming out of the summer, they're feeding up because, one, they're looking up because bait's dying, but two, temperatures are dropping, so they're, like, coming from warm where they're all jazzed up, and they're like, crap, I got to eat before it gets too cold. So they're, like, energized little turbo missiles is what I like to call them. Um, so they're chasing a lot in the fall. What uh, what natural forage are they usually chasing by you? So Great Lakes, uh, I mean, all times a year they're eating gobies, which those are just yep. bottom little chicken nuggets swimming on the bottom that are easy pickings for them. Um, but for the most part, it's uh, it's it's <clears throat> outlives, which is just like a small little shad, yep. silver shad, like greener back, and that's really all they're chasing. Gotcha. So, so when you stumble into one of those bait pods, um, what what are they usually deeper, shallower? Like I know they're relating to that sand. Is uh, not with, without giving away spots or anything. Like what what nice. depth of water are you kind of searching for to find those areas? So. A lot of it's going to depend on contour. A lot of it's, you know, in the fall, you really want to go find the more vertical stuff. That's what they seem to get on. I haven't really understood just yet why would they like the more vertical stuff. Um, but the sharper the drops you can find, the better it's going to be. Um, but that being said, too, you can find sand flats that are going to have them. And I really don't know if there's a rhyme or reason as to why they might be in certain depths. Um, I just know as shallow shallower water is more affected by temperature than deeper water is so the deeper the column is it's more gradual it takes longer for that to get colder it takes longer for that to get warmer so it's more consistent so if you can find it in deeper water i mean in the summer you can catch them dirt shallow um because they're up there cruising and if you find them up shallow they're only there for one reason it's to wreak havoc on anything in front of their face uh so typically i mean I'd say anywhere from 20 to 35 is a good bet. And then worst case, you can go a little bit deeper. Um, but I think as long as you have the sand or you have the transition, you'll find fish there. It's just a matter of if they're going to be big or not. Fair enough. I think they like that vertical stuff. You know, when, when you're talking that depth, it's maybe if it's Southern exposure or if it's, you know, facing South, it's, it's kind of a heat pad there and it's hanging out. But two, it's a place for them to corral bait fish against. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's what it's a, a big reason why I think a lot of people when you catch fish right at the boat, it's because they're trying to pin that bait against the boat. They think that's a wall, whereas like if the vertical structure, they use that to pin bait against where they can't go anywhere. And that's why a lot of times in the fall they push up on bait because they try to get under it. That way they've pushed the surface. There's no way, there's no place for them to go. Which is why when you see schoolers, you see bait flicking the surface. It's because fish are coming up and feeding on top of them. Sure. Yeah. So, so go ahead, Matt. Go, oh, I just I probably the same question you were going to ask. What do you use to target them there then? Pushing them so, all the way up to the top. Can you run top water that deep? Oh, or are yeah. you, you can? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on how they're positioning. Um, and there's a lot of different things you can throw in the fall. In fall, the fall, you can catch them whatever bait you want. But the more fun ways, I mean, for us to fish, right, is fast. Fast, like throw at A rigs, spinner baits. You know, you can throw small swim baits at them. Top water for sure, especially if they're going to be higher up in the column. And one thing I, that not too many people do is like they might be mid column. Say you're in 40 foot and they're 20, they're 20 feet down chasing bait. If you have a clear enough fishery, they'll come up. They'll come 20 feet up for that top water. Um, but you know, you can power fish. You know, throwing crankbaits for them. I think if 
honestly, in the fall, faster the better. Until you get to a certain water temp, then they kind of are like, oh, crap, it's getting cold. I don't really want to chase after that now. <laughs> is that when you is that when you switch to, like, drop shots or bottom bounce in a tube, stuff like that? Yeah, tubes, drop shot, Ned rig. Uh, you can even – one way we love to catch them is uh, the Great Lakes is not always going to be calm and, you know, being able to maneuver wherever you want. A lot of times we're going out. And it's six to eight footers, and we're taking it's taking us a while to get out there. You got to do drifts over sand flats, and we'll take a heavy, uh, heavy net head. We actually pour our own with do it molds, and you put a little swim bait on the back, and you drag that on bottom. So it just looks like a little bait fish creeping on bottom, typically like a goby. And next thing you know, you either like your line will go slack, or your rod will be ripped out of your hand. Uh, but that's a fun way to catch them too. Yeah, just wind drifts and a swim bait. That's that's a, a solid tactic. Springtime, too. I mean, I've done that yeah. quite a bit in springtime. Yeah, honestly, late fall is the same thing as, as early spring. It's just, again, like backtracking your steps, and you're like, oh, we're here doing this in April. This <laughs> is the same sure. deal. Are you, are you using bigger baits, though? You can. I mean, you're not going to get as many bites, but, like, if you bump up to, like, a 4-inch swim bait, you're going to catch big ones. You'll catch big ones on a, a, a 2.8 or a 3-inch, too, but, like, when you bump up, you're just going to – it's basically you're getting less bites, but all you're doing is you're just deterring smaller fish from biting, if that makes sense. Certainly. Certainly does. Yeah. So are you bait casting, spinning gear? What what do you prefer using? Uh, it depends on what bait I'm throwing, really. Um, I love both, but I'm a weirdo for whatever reason. I love finessing them deep water with a spinning rod. Uh, but there is something to, like, in the fall time – one of my favorite baits throws a blade bait and the way we do it is pretty aggressive where it's like, we'll be, you can cast and rip it back. But a lot of times, like when you get right on top of them in the fall, and there's a lot of fish. They don't care the boats on top of them, especially if you're near like 45 foot of water. So we'll take half ounce blade baits or three quarter ounces, drop them all the way down, take a jerk bait rod and a casting gear and rip up. And you're just doing this violent, like straight vertical. And the next time you rip it, it locks up and you're like basically fall into the, the lake um that that's a super fun bite but yeah i guess it just depends on what uh technique i'm throwing but if i had to choose one i'd say spinning what about line choice finesse obviously you're not running braid you're running braid to the leader or yeah i'm all and everything spinning wise i'm always going like eight to ten pound braid to either six or eight pound fluorocarbon um the only time i ever run anything different uh is if i run a, a if i'm throwing a spy bait then i'll go straight mono like a like an eight pound mono yeah, uh, do you do you run different or the same for the top water applications and the crankbaits too? Do you run the same thing for that? So for that, I'll go to like for top waters. Typically, I'm going casting gear and I go straight braid. I'll go like a lighter braid, like a thirty pound. Sometimes I'll add in like a twelve inch mono leader if they're if they're short striking it and you're missing some. Sometimes if you add that little bit of mono, it gives it a little bit of stretch. You'll find you know hooks might pin in those fish a little bit better. Um, but like crankbaits and such, I'll go straight fluorocarbon on those. What's your favorite kind of crankbait to run in the fall? Uh, so I'd say one of the mainstays are a, the strike King XD series. So it's either you can, depending on what depth you're running, of course, but you can go three XD, five XD, eight XD. Um, yes. The, I mean, I don't know if you guys know an eight XD, but it's a, that's a big honking bait. So like they will eat it. Um, but, I, the, my buddy and I have been going down the the the, uh, 
the deep hole of Japanese baits the past few years. So we've been uh, beating up our wallets and buying some uh, some JDM stuff. And yeah. I got to say, OSP has become a quick favorite of mine. And it's just like a night and day difference when you throw those things. For whatever reason, they just inhale it, and it comes to rock better. Those baits, I don't know. Their paint jobs are phenomenal. Uh, the way they're weighted, the bills that they put on them, the hooks, you just look at them and they're stuck in your finger already. <laughs> you're bleeding when you're tying them up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're, they're Ginsu sharp. It's pretty crazy how, how awesome those Japanese crankbaits really are. They are. And, with, and there's some amazing American crankbaits, but the innovation that's going on in Japan when it comes to fishing, even a little bit in Italy too, it's really cool. And you're seeing some of that influence happen over here. Um, but we've just been going down this deep hole of just looking at different Japanese stuff. We'll order them and we'll try them out and we'll like keep it, try to keep it super secret between the two of us. And we're like, dude, like this is working over this. And uh, it's bad, bad for our wallets, but it's fun. Nonetheless, <laughs> uh, there's some stuff, man, there's stuff that's gold, gold. And if you get out, then spreads like wildfire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you always say, fun hobbies are never cheap. So, no, you just, <laughs> and you're just going to be a bait collector from, from here on out anyway. So, be, yeah, it's better yeah, than baseball cards. Our, yeah, we don't let our baits collect us. We're either losing them in the lake or breaking them somehow. <laughs> yeah. So, we kind of covered crankbaits. We covered some some of the plastics. Uh, spinnerbait. You got a spinnerbait that you, you really like using in particular. Yeah, yeah, I got, uh, I'd say my favorite um, is Accent, Accent, uh, Accent Spinnerbaits. Uh, I'm a little biased. I won a pretty big event down in Alabama on one. So ever since, I've kind of been a little biased towards them. But they're those are probably my favorite. But they don't make the size big enough that I like to run for fall smallmouth. So I actually run, uh, it's a Strike King. I'm trying to freaking remember the name of them. Um I want to say it's like bottom dwell or something like that. But essentially, they make a one-ounce spinnerbait that you can get down deep or you can even throw it shallow and burn it faster. Um, so it's that's probably one of my favorite ones to throw in the fall. Um, usually run straight on the spinnerbait, um, I, but sometimes I'll add like even a little drop shot bait or a fluke on the back that gives a little bit more of an action. But for the most part, you can run it just straight, just a skirt, and they'll still throttle the thing. They uh, just do- blades. Do you run uh, double hooks on there or no? Like a second hook on the back or? I try not to. Uh, I found I lose a lot more fish with a trailer hook than without. Um, Interesting. But I'll say what I try to do is I'll start with just a skirt on the bait, no trailer. Um, If I'm getting bumped a lot and I'm not catching them, I'll put a trailer on first. And a lot of times that'll solve your problems because they can key in on it better. Um, So if that doesn't work, then I'll, put a trailer hook on and sometimes you'll catch those but i found there's a lot of times i've lost fish because that trailer hook's just simply getting in the way because they get that spinnerbait so good that all that trailer hook does is just extra metal that's getting in their mouth and one if you do catch them you kill more fish too and as much as i love catching fish i hate killing fish even more than i like catching them so um i'm just a big catch and release guy and i mean i'll i'll keep them if i have to but Perch and walleye taste better, and I'll keep my bass for my fun. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Do you got a favorite color? 
Uh, I typically like straight white, a little maybe a little bit of chartreuse in there too. I know some people go nuts on certain colors and stuff, but like I'm such a simple guy when it comes to honestly everything. Um, but I say spinnerbaits either straight white or a little bit of chartreuse in there. Um, dirtier water, I'll throw like copper or gold blades. Um, but you know, at least smallmouth clear water, I'm going straight silver. That makes sense. You're trying yeah. to imitate a uh, you know an alewife or some sort of lake shiner, and those are the right colors to throw, especially in clear water like that. Yeah, and honestly, though they're false smallmouth, they're pretty dang dumb. So if you just have a, something <laughs> shiny, you're gonna you're gonna catch something. <laughs> Ooh, look, shiny thing. <laughs> they're like us, man. They yeah. see shiny on a shelf. They're like, I'll eat that. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Do you got anything else on the Great Lakes side of full smallmouth fishing? Uh, I'd say one thing to remember, uh, you can always catch bass, but if you're not afraid to get out when the conditions are a little bit little bit crazier, a little bit rougher, you'll catch way more and bigger fish. Like the wind makes them chew. That's that's the biggest thing. It's a little it can be dangerous. I mean, obviously we'll put a, a you know an asterisk an asterisk on that. So take your time and stuff. Um, but you know, especially go with somebody that if it's your first time or whatever, go with experienced drivers or people that have been out and stuff like that. But if you can go out there and do it safely, you will catch way more fish and have a lot more fun. You'll catch bigger fish too. That makes sense. It, yeah. I don't know. I've had some of my best days fishing when uh, when there's some rocking and rolling going on the top. You need yeah. a little wind, and, and it just it just gets some chewing. Yeah, I usually say my, you know, my brother and I, uh, my brother to to bow hunting or hunting in general is to me to fishing. He went the hunting route, and uh, we always said we save the nice days for the tree stand and the shitty days for out on the water. Perfect. <laughs> That's right. Good, good motto to live by there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see less people out on the water, and probably more people. Maybe not even that many people in the woods either. I don't know. Tough to say, yeah. but it, it definitely uh, definitely brings true. So for sure. We talked a, a pretty good amount about Great Lakes. What about inland? I mean, I, I've had some experiences, uh, river up north, flowage up north for smallmouth. Um, I think the small the, the spinnerbait is kind of a universal bait to use for mm-hmm. smallies, especially in fall. Um, they tend to follow them a lot, usually in the river by me where I would fish. I'd actually wait the back end of that thing so I could, like, pause it and let it drop in its face, and they would they would hit it. Mm-hmm. If you get a lot of fish following, um, what kind of tactics do you like employing, you know, inland lakes by you? Yeah, I think for, for the inland lakes, you know, same, same thing will ring, uh, ring true in regards to nastier weather, the better that'll really get those fish. Cause they'll get moving. And what that does is the wind pushes more bait on main lake points. Honestly, the, the fall on our, our inland lakes are a little bit more simpler than the rest of the times of the year, because, if you have, I mean, for us, our inland lakes, they're glacial lakes. They're, they're, we call them the finger lakes because they're straight north-south, and all they are are big bowls of grass, and that's, that's it. There's really nothing too unique about them. Some have rock piles, uh, but some have these main lake points on them that are like that's the only really unique thing on these bodies of water. So typically, if you just run those in the fall, especially when you've got some good wind, um, you will find that bait gets pushed up on it because that's the only structure that bait can cling to uh and if there's bait there there's gonna be bass uh so if you can work those points with a spinner bait an a rig you know some you know depending if it's earlier in the fall too 
throw a big top water, like a big walking bait, working at fast cover water, you'll run into them and you can kind of get on that, that pattern and figure out pretty quick what they're doing. So I would say fish the obvious stuff, you know, like the, the, if you got a big break wall or something like that, you know, fish some of the more obvious things like you would in the spring uh, and you'll start running into fish faster. So, I mean, for me, our inland lakes, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I start on the main lake points, and that gets me a good read on, one, what the fish are doing, if the bait's there, um, and kind of that can start setting the ball for, like, if they're not there, plan B, plan C, and kind of make adjustments. But uh, typically, <laughs> if, if the wind's ripping, you got temperatures falling, bait's going to be on main lake points, and that's where the bass are going to be. What uh, what are you looking for for a temperature, like surface temp, we'll say? Where, where do you feel like? That is like the turning point, you know, is it 58 degrees and Hey, it's game time. We need to be out fishing or is it 68 degrees? What's, what's your magic number? Honestly, the, the things that I start look for when I start seeing at least the summer to fall transition is when I start seeing some nights in the low fifties, because that's going to, cause when you have water temps that are in the mid seventies, close to eighties, you got night temps in the fifties. That's going to start pushing those temperatures down. Um, and when you consistently start having like low fifties, high forties, and then days in the mid sixties, that's really going to start making the water temps fall a little bit. Um, we had that pretty heavy for our state championships this past weekend. Uh, I noticed in my day or two of practice that our water temps would drop three, uh, three degrees overnight. So every, each morning got three degrees uh, colder that, I mean, as soon as you get for me, the, those fish started, they start knowing pretty quick when that's about to happen especially when it happens consistently over a couple of days. Um, but once it gets in like that mid sixties, I think that's really when things just get nutty. Like you can, they really, they're like, okay, Hey, fall's coming boys. Time to eat. Like, and that's where you can really just start beating the crap out of them. Um, so I would say, I would say that like, once you just start seeing a, uh, a trending drop in water temp, that's when those fish are going to start going. How long does that bite last for temperature wise? <clears throat> Like what temp is the lowest you've seen them real active at? Till there's ice. Till there's ice. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 catch a lot of smallies, musky fishing on giant top water and forty eight degree water, forty five degree water, big ten inch swim baits for musky. Those smallmouth are inhaling them. Yeah, I was just my- curious because like they're crazy at forty eight degrees. I'd be you know bundled up in a corner and they're still hammering away. Yeah, I mean, dude, we uh. It was two years ago. It was New Year's Day, uh, and we had 29 and a half pounds of smallmouth. We had 130 fish between three guys of, uh, of us guys. It was like 36 or 37 degree water. Uh, <laughs> they, they were just, dude, they would smoke everything you put in front of their face. And so it was like. Still putting the feed bag on. Uh, yeah, they're like, we're, we're still going. Yeah, we're <laughs> still on their face. They'll still eat. Like, yep. <laughs> Tell, tell the ice is overhead and, and two feet thick, and then then they kind of go into the doldrums and they don't bite as as often. Oh, they still bite! I yeah. promise you, they still bite. We catch them through the ice, okay. and they're still like, still they're still crazy. Yeah, smallmouth are a special breed. Where largemouth will sit on bottom and they don't want to move like us when we're cold in the tree stand. Like we're just huddling <laughs> for warmth. Where some smallmouth will do that, but like if you still have bait that's alive, they're gonna be like they're crack addicts, man. They just they see it, they gotta have it. <laughs> Now, when you're fishing, like, the Finger Lakes, I don't know much about that. I don't know what the – obviously, it's a straight line, a finger. Um, you're not fishing super deep like you would on the Great Lakes? Are you fishing, 
you know, outside weed edges? Where you kind of, how do you say main leg points, but what are we looking at for depth? I think if they're on bottom, um, I'd say the deeper, the deepest I usually go maybe is 30 to 40, maybe 50. Um, but there's times in the fall, though, that like this past weekend for our state championships, I was in 65 foot of water, but I was only fishing 10 to 20 feet down. Because okay. what they're doing is the bait, they're pushing bait up. Again, like you were talking about earlier, bait push, they push that up to the surface, and they're only going to be a little bit below them. So, But that being said, bait, when they're being pushed like that, especially when you have these giant bait clouds, they don't go shallow. They go out with – it's like when you're shallow, there's so many different things and, and easier ways for these bass to push up on them whether it's docks or like shallow water in general, wood, whatever it may be for them to ambush them to them, to pin them to something to feed on. Whereas they see this wide open abyss and all they see is like, like when you're a deer trying to escape, you just see this field where you can run away, you know, more room for you to get it to try to evade. And so they go out and wander these points, deep saddles, things like that. Um, and the smallmouth chase them out in the, the middle of the abyss and that's basically what they try to do. And so you can be out there in 80 feet of water, but you're only fishing 20 to 30 feet down. Oh, it's crazy. For some reason, it stuck in my head like they might kick shallower to push those bait fish. But if you got inland lakes that are that deep, well, I don't I don't fish any that are that deep by us. Um, I guess that makes sense. I mean, they will. There are certain times they will definitely push that shallow, and especially in the, our inland lakes uh, later into the fall. There, there's a time when all these, especially when the grass dies, where these smallmouth push shallow. Um, they'll still stay deep, but there's a breed of fish that get up there and they'll feed on the perch that are shallow. Um, you can catch those on like bigger swim baits, spinner baits, top waters, things like that. But uh, we definitely have a, a lot of our fish that that stay deep. We almost kind of have two classes of fish, if you will, that just act completely different. Um, especially in our glacial lakes. I mean, we have lakes that get 450 feet deep here. Um, so, and they stay open all year round, so you can always fish for them, but, uh, a bass on our finger lakes when it's 33 degrees on those there, you might catch a couple a day, but you're, you're more cold than they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the lakes that we would have similar in, in water type would be, you know, big green and, Gen- uh, Lake Geneva where they're, they're very deep. They're, uh, they're very clear water and, you know, they're a big bowl essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some spots on big green. I know like it's literally a sandstone wall and a lot of guys will just drop tubes and let the tubes sink right down the wall and mm-hmm. they'll get smallmouth basically coming out of any of the outcroppings. Yeah, bluff off. walls. I know, like fishing down in Tennessee, they got ten, they got smallmouth as well. Um, but like bluff walls are a great pattern when times get cold, because especially the tighter you feel, like you're saying they throw tubes right at that wall. They, what we were talking about earlier, they ambush that. It's way easier for them to pin it against something. Um, and more vertical stuff. That's that's what they get on, which is super cool. You, you did make a comment earlier. You said if you got the Great Lakes mastered, you're going to struggle when you come inland. What's elaborate on that a little bit because it sounds very similar yeah i mean i wouldn't i mean i'll backtrack and say you won't struggle uh i think it, you have to make a bigger adjustment or they won't act completely the same uh some will like again there's just I, I think there's two different classes of fish but you know if you got deep rock piles on inland lakes typically in the fall you're always going to have fish on them um 
but they just don't move around the same. Uh, they, I feel like they're way more nomadic on our inland lakes than they are on the Great Lakes. There's a lot more to keep them there in that specific area on the Great Lakes. Um, and again, I think you'll you'll still find fish that act similar. Uh, we're, we're, I mean, year after year, we will have more fish that start behaving like our Great Lakes fish, being that we have a couple of these finger lakes that are connected to Lake Ontario, uh, which that, what it's done is gobies are now in some of our finger lakes, which has turned, it's one of the reasons I think why we have all these state records popping up in a finger lake is because there's gobies in there. And what gobies have done is turn smallmouth into blimps with fins. Uh, and so that's where it's just, it's changing some of the fishery, but I just think uh, for like for guys that live on the Great Lakes that always fish the Great Lakes, uh, you know, my co-host of the podcast, he's a full-time guide on Lake Erie for smallmouth. Uh, there, there's an adjustment when you go into the, the Finger Lakes and try to target smallmouth. They act a little bit different. Uh, and also just, you know, helps with the body of water is completely different too. But um, I just think they, they have a different environment in the Finger Lakes, so they behave and move differently. So it might take some guys a little bit of adjustment period to figure them out. Some guys, they still they still struggle, even though there might be mega hammers on the on the great lakes do they school up in the inland lakes like they do uh they still do oh yeah it's fun <laughs> <laughs> so you can sit on one spot for five hours on the inland the same as you would on erie yeah there was uh it was two years ago it was mid-october my buddy and i had a tournament that was the last term of the year and it was uh it was a delayed fall for us because our our first cold front of the year was landed on this tournament uh, and the cold front literally hit the day we were fishing. So the pressure drop was literally from like 6 a.m. to like dinner time that night. So we sat on one spot in that tournament from start to finish and caught the living crap out of smallmouth. We had like 24 pounds of them. We caught like 80 fish uh, and just straight waxed them. So you can do it. Uh, you can't do it all the time. I don't want to glorify it and make it seem like it's happened <laughs> everywhere all the time. But you can certainly do it when times are right. The bait is there. That's the biggest thing. As long as there's bait there consistently and they're not moving, you will have a big group of fish stay there and not leave because they got everything they need. Well, that makes sense. Especially, I mean, those inland lakes are deeper. We, Like Greg said, we don't have a lot of really deep lakes. I mean, he listed off a couple. There might be a couple other ones that are that deep. So, like, when we're targeting them by us, I'm looking for 20 to 30 foot of water. And, you know, in that range, not that 80 to 100 foot and fish in that top 20. Yeah, I, I think one thing to remember, too, is one lake acts a certain way and you're out in 50. When you go to another lake that doesn't even get to 50, just because it doesn't get as deep doesn't mean they won't act the same. You know what I mean? So, like, the 50 foot in one lake is the 30 in the other. you got to treat it the same way. You're just in a different depth. That's sure. one thing I've learned, especially, with, like, with largemouth. I've caught largemouth in some of our lakes that are clear water out in 25, almost 30 foot of water on bottom, which people like a lot of guys, when you talk to them, like what, that, that shouldn't be right. Uh, but it's, but at the same point in time with smallmouth, on one lake, I'm catching them in 50 on bottom, but another lake, it only gets 30 feet deep, but the way they're setting up and especially where like certain baits reacting, I can go do that and they'll be set up in 12 where I can see bottom. I can see them out there, but it's like, if the bait's there, they have the cover to sit on. It's like you got to almost, it's almost like a situational thing where don't rule it out. You know what I mean? Um, so 
as the year goes on, of course, they're going to get deeper and deeper because, like we said earlier, that deeper water column takes a lot longer to warm up so or to cool down, warm up, same thing. So as the year goes on in the fall, they're deeper and deeper because that warmer water is still further out because that shallow water gets, you know, I mean, that's where you get your first ice, right, is right by the bank. So I think it's one thing to remember, too, is don't write anything off, especially out in the fall. If you got the cover, the cover there and there's bait, you can go wax on them. Yeah. That's interesting. Sliding scale. It's like adjusting your graph from 100 foot to 50 foot. It's still going to be halfway up. It's actually a good way to look at it. Yeah, and I mean, early fall, too. Remember that in the summer, there's a thermocline for the, for the most part in some lakes. So, like, if your lake's 30 feet deep, the thermocline is 22. Write off anything that's deeper than 22 because they're not going to be below the thermocline. You know what I mean? So, it's you'll have that going into the early fall before that lake flips. And then, I mean, that's an easy way to write off so much water. I love late summer tournaments because you find the thermocline. And it's like, wow, this is... A quarter of the lake, I got to go figure it out now. <laughs> so, so when you get on the schools in the inland lakes, are you throwing very similar things for them? Same colors, everything like that, too? Or, yeah, I'd say same colors. Uh, I just keep it, like I said, I keep it simple, like shad. I try to imitate an wife, uh, silvers, whites. You know, I try to just keep it simple. Um, throwing a rigs, um, this past weekend, state championships, I was throwing a Demiki rig the whole time because. What, for whatever reason, sometimes when you get around so much bait, if you try to imitate more bait, like with throwing a rig, like for us, we can throw five blades. Um, so like we can have like 12 different baits or whatever and have five hooks on it um, on that Alabama rig. But they see that, they think it's another bait cloud and they'll follow it for a while. But if you throw a Demiki rig, which is just jig head and a minnow, you pitch it at them, you keep it, always keep it above their head. They're like, oh, it's a, that guy's dumb. Like he's sitting above all his friends. Like he's out there. He's easy picking. So they come rocking it up and they eat it. So like, that's a lot of what I like to throw too, because it's also one hook. It's easier to you know maneuver, be more accurate with not hunking around this Christmas tree with blades on it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say that's the best thing you can throw that or like a little swim bait. Uh, you just, you can, yeah, a lot of times too, depending on the water depth, you can throw a jerk bait, which is a fun, uh, fun way to catch them in the fall. So you can you can get creative with it. You just gotta let the fish tell you what they want. What uh, what bait do you like to run? What plastic or minnow imitator do you like to run on your Demiki rig? My favorite is uh, either a Strike King Z two or uh, a Z Man Streaks. They're the the same bait really. They're both the last tech, um, but it's just whatever I got more of. They they basically do the same thing. I like the Streaks. They make a little bit bigger of one, which I like throwing like a. I was throwing a three and three quarters. Uh, no, sorry, excuse me. I was throwing a four inch um, this past weekend, but they also make like a three and a quarter. Uh, you got a lot more bites on a three and a quarter. You can catch like more crappie and stuff. It's a little bit more universal. Uh, but that four inch, they see that as you know a dumber, bigger bait fish, bigger meal. Bass are very opportunistic, so usually you, get, you can trigger the bigger fish into coming up and eating. Whereas if you got a pod of fish, like this past weekend, I was seeing a lot of pods of like five to eight smallmouth. Throwing that bigger bait made the bigger fish try to beat the little fish to the bait. Where if you throw the little one, the bass or the bigger bass are usually in my brain. I, I feel like they're saying like, "Ah, I'll let you have it, Jimmy. You, you haven't eaten in a bit." You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I just think they'll the the bigger girls will come up and eat that bigger bait. Yeah, why eat the French fry when you can have the whole potato? That's right. That's right. You we got, got a, staring you at the face. 
we got a funny term we always use in musky fishing is a fat guy doesn't have to run to the fridge. So you let the little ones chase it. And That's right. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. I think we, we covered quite a bit uh, talking about different bait types, talking to different depths. We hit on temperatures. Um, Bailey, do you have an okayest fisher moment? Oh, buddy, I have them all the time. <laughs> uh, well, like a most embarrassing thing or like, what are we talking? Yeah. We'll, I mean, let, you, we'll let you. We'll let you. Cipher yeah, it how I you mean, want your, to. <laughs> your version of okayest fisher moment. We had another guy just tell us a story about how he schooled a bunch of people at fishing. And we're like, well, if you think that's just okay, I guess. <laughs> but usually it's like, hey, I walked into the tongue of my truck and you know the, the hitch and i got <laughs> the ball hitch in my knee and it didn't feel good you know yeah tell, tell us your right. bill dance moment yeah all right i got one for you it was actually most recent it was at our state championships this past weekend um and i was chasing these pods of fish i was telling, uh, telling you guys that are out deep they're just chasing bait and uh throwing a Demiki rig on them and i casted at a group of them and one came up ate it set the hook into it. I'm reeling it in. It comes up, jumps right next to the kayak and I jumps off. I lose it. And so the bait's swinging around. Like I got pretty used to how I was wanting to target these fish. So as soon as the bait swung around, Oh, my bail bait went right back down, right back in the school. And I set the hook on another one. But what I didn't account for is me trying to just pay attention to the cast is my line wrapped around my rod, went down. It was halfway down, rooped on my rod. So I went, set the hook on it and it broke my line. And I just realized my line's wrapped all up through my rod. And I'm like, wow, well, that, was a, that was a bonehead move. <laughs> it's like, nice job, rookie. <laughs> that happens. I think. Yeah. I did that actually twice. Twice that same day. <laughs> well, then at least it wasn't braid because braid, you would have cut the rod in half. It was braid. It oh, just it was. I was using really? lighting a fluorocarbon uh, leader that I just broke oh. fluorocarbon instead. You're pretty lucky because yes. uh, I've had it where Stop. it did not fair so well for the end of the rod and it was wrapped up it was rough yeah braid will break a lot of things (laughs) (laughs) well cool man well thanks for joining us uh we'll have to do it again anytime boys that was a lot of fun awesome well thanks for jumping on yeah appreciate it well thanks everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you next week